You're listening to the Business for Good podcast, the show where you'll hear inspirational stories about companies making money by solving some of the world's most pressing problems. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and I'm glad you've joined us. Hello, friend. You are listening to the 110th episode of the Business for Good podcast. Welcome. Before we get on to this episode, though, I want to take a brief moment to tip my hat to an entrepreneur who came on this show more than two years ago in episode number 60, Brian Spears, who is the CEO of New Age Eats. Brian and I started our companies at about the same time in early 2018, and he did a great job on this show in 2021 laying out his vision for how we are going to shift the meat industry away from using animals. Sadly, Brian recently announced that New Age Eats is shutting down due to their inability to attract investment capital. The company had raised more than $30 million since inception, but alas, that 30 plus million was not enough to bring them to market. Hopefully, the work that New Age did for all those five years will help advance others in the cultivated meat space, whether through IP acquisition, hard asset acquisition, and more. Brian and the New Age team fought a good fight and they should be proud to have been in the ring for these past five years. Brian is a very talented guy, a very nice guy, and by the way, I know from personal experience, a really good singer, if you ever go to karaoke with him. And so many of the people who I personally know who worked at New Age Eats are also very talented, and I want to personally wish each of them well in the next chapter of their careers. Now, speaking of next chapters, let's get on to this episode, as it is a really cool company. You probably already know that using animals to make materials like leather has a lot of downsides. But using petrochemicals and intensive crops like cotton, while better than animal products, it's still pretty suboptimal for the planet. Keel Labs thinks that it has a better idea. Rather than relying on animals or on terrestrial agriculture, it's seeking to use kelp, yep, seaweed, to make the next generation of materials. Kelp grows much more quickly than do land-based plants. It sucks CO2 out of the air. It requires no water and no fertilizer, no pesticide inputs, and generally speaking, makes the oceans healthier. Conceived by undergraduate students in 2017, the company has now raised nearly $20 million from venture capitalists betting that kelp will be the next big thing. They already have two dozen employees, and they are making kelp-based yarns at their North Carolina headquarters. In case you're as maritime challenged as I am and you have no idea what keel, that's K-E-E-L, means, a keel is the structural spine of a ship from the bow to the stern, functioning to create balance between the ocean and to keep a ship's momentum moving forward. How nice. This is a B2B company. They don't intend to be selling their own kelp clothing as much as they intend to produce the natural yarn that fashion designers can use to create humane, climate-friendly materials. Are the tides turning for sustainable materials? Keel Labs co-founder Alex Goshevsky thinks so, and she sees an open of opportunity in kelp. I hope you enjoy hearing her inspirational story as much as I did. Alex, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Paul, thank you so much for having me today. It is my pleasure to be talking with you. Let me just get straight off the bat here. I have no fashion sense whatsoever. I have been told time and time again not to even pick my own clothing because I will not do a good enough job. You, on the other hand, have really devoted your life to fashion and were really into fashion for a long time. So tell me, what was it that got you into fashion in the first place, Alex? 
Yeah, that's that's so funny. I I think everyone always has potential. So don't <laughs> Thank you. don't believe that you can't come around. Yeah, I just I always loved creativity and color and just understanding how things were made and built and constructed. And I felt like fashion embodied that very easily. And it wasn't an extremely risky way to explore building things. But of course, that sort of desire for risk and building has led me to build a company. So I feel like there's a lot of connectivity to everything that I've kind of done. Nice. Well, in terms of all the things that you've done, for folks who don't know about your background, like what have you done? You know, you 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 co-founded this company five years ago, but prior to that, like what were you doing? Were you as a child, were you super into fashion? What was it that led you down this path? Yeah, I, you know, I guess I didn't really have access to art or any creative subjects when I was in school. I was in a really small school. I was very focused on liberals and I just craved a creative outlet. So I got really interested in finding ways to do that. And often it led to different schools and classes outside of sort of main studies. And when it came to college, I was like, okay, that's it. Like I'm going all in and I just wanted to go into fashion. Yeah. When I was in school and interning at different fashion companies, I just became really aware around like things that didn't really sit well with me in the fashion industry. And that's kind of mainly around waste, like textile waste, toxic chemical usage, just like a lack of accountability with some of the brands that were creating the clothing that we wear every single day. And this led me to explore, you know, alternatives for for some of those things, specifically materials, because they're the foundation of every piece of clothing or fabric that we use. And I was trying to design sustainable products, but I didn't have sustainable materials to access. And Mm. so then I was like, that's, that's the area, that's the opportunity, that's something that I really need to look into. And it eventually led to the idea of Kiel Labs. So it really started while I was in school. And quickly after graduating, I dived in headfirst with my business partners, and we've been building it ever since. So where where were you in school when you were thinking about starting this company? In terms of like year, where I, like how close what to school? graduation? Uh, well, yeah, that too. Oh, but what, what, yeah, what's, yeah, that's, that's actually maybe even more relevant. But yeah, what school and, and how close to graduation were you? I mean, you're an undergrad and you're thinking about starting your own business. You know, most people at that time are just hoping they can find a job somewhere and you're thinking about creating your own company. So how far along in school and where, yeah. in, what, what school were you at? So I was at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, and then I was just going into my junior, my senior year. So it was the end Mm -hmm. of my junior year. You know, truthfully, I wasn't ever thinking about starting a, a company right out of school or while I was in school. I was definitely interested in business, but I thought I was very much thinking about, okay, where am I going to work after this? We ended up winning a competition called the Bio Design Challenge. We had a couple companies reach out to us after we won, and we were a little surprised. But that was enough validation for us to to consider whether this is something we want to pursue further. Well, what, and what was it that that led you to win? Like, what was the idea? Was it making fabrics out out of kelp, or what was the actual idea that led you to win the competition? Yeah. So this competition was a very open ended design competition, which 
inspired, well, really brought together individuals from all different backgrounds. So it wasn't targeted at just designers, although it was offered at FIT. It was it was bringing in people from other disciplines, like it was attracting ar- architects and engineers and, you know, anyone sort of studying whatever it was they were. But the the, the thesis of the competition was to develop a technology that was inspired by biology or had some sort of biomimetic connection. And for us, since we were coming from the materials fashion space, we specifically wanted to explore alternative bio-inspired solutions for textiles. And so we kind of looked through or we sort of researched all different organic matter. We were playing with bacteria and with fungus and trying to grow things. What we quickly realized was that some of it wasn't really scalable or it was really inconsistent. So we had a very clear goal on what we wanted the outcome of our project to be when we were submitting it. And it was a yarn that could be knit and that could be consistent. And it eventually led us to kind of work with biopolymers that are found in seaweed, which are easily accessible, already have a supply chain. So we were able to source them pretty quickly. And what we were able to present at the competition was a very, very, very early prototype of our technology, which was like a hand knit shirt. And I think having that tangible item really helped us stand out because a lot of the ideas were conceptual. Well, that's really cool. Where this little piece of history, this this kelp shirt that is hand knitted, where is it now? Is it framed in the office? Is it is it still in existence somewhere? That it's definitely still in existence. The exact location is TBD. We've moved around quite a bit, so it's probably packed in a box somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, I, I do suggest keeping a record of the company's history because one day maybe that will have some great meaning and it'll be in your in your new multi thousand person complex that you have. I, I know I went to I went to Amazon's headquarters one time and they had people who were using literally like pieces of wood from the very first Amazon office in their offices. Like they were just keepsakes. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but hopefully awesome. you have that. So, so let's talk about then, you know, you decide to start this company. The company was started, I think in 2017, right? And you're yes. thinking we're going to make materials out of kelp and you can source kelp. You can create a supply chain from it. You don't have to start growing your own like you would, let's say, if you were using fungi, probably in the way that companies like Mycoworks are having to grow their own fungi to make their materials out of their out of their fungi. But you guys decide, well, we're going to just start buying kelp and seeing what we can do. So what was the expertise that you had? Obviously, you know something about fashion, but I, I doubt that you know that much about green chemistry to the point where you can make yarn out of out of seaweed. So what was the process by which you actually created this invention? Did you bring on, you know, biologists or others who actually had the scientific background to make this happen? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, so we had some fashion expertise on our team, but we also did have one of our business partners had a biology background. So he was also able to contribute some of that scientific knowledge to what we were doing. And we also supplemented that with advisors, both in the fashion and research space to further our development. And eventually, once we raised, you know, our first round of funding, our first hire was a scientist. There was no question about it. We Mm -hmm. needed more scientific expertise. 
But the beginning days when it was very design heavy, it also led us to explore a lot. You know, we were just very curious and up for trying anything. You know, we we knew we, we didn't know enough about the technical interactions of the things that we were doing, but we were able to see the physical outcomes and kind of go from there, you know. How did you go about raising that first round of funding? So I, I presume you all were working as volunteers. Like, how much money did you raise, and from whom? Who were the people who said, "Oh yeah, I'm going to back these folks and make some kelp, some kelp clothing here"? Yeah, you know, I think we got very lucky in terms of how we raised our initial capital. So our pre-seed money was actually funded through an accelerator program, which is which was run by SOSB. The, the program that we went through was called Rebel Bio, but now it's more known as Indie Bio. So you might be familiar with them. Tons of companies have gone through their program in, in this space. But then after that program ended, which was a four-month sort of heavy, intense business accelerator, we got approached by Horizons Ventures, and they led that round. So it was a very, very fortunate situation for us and a really great investor to have on board. Well, that's great. And and we've certainly had many IndieBio and Horizons invested companies on this show before. And for those who are trying to remember why you know the name Horizons Ventures, so Li Kaxing, who is the Chinese billionaire whose funding is used for Horizons, they're invested in everybody from Impossible Foods to Eat Just and in the material space, Modern Meadow, which is trying to grow real leather without cows, essentially. And so this is a fund that has pumped huge amounts of money into many of the alternative protein companies that you are now very familiar with. And it's cool to hear that they're also backing this kelp material. So let's get into it. You get some money then from Horizons and from Indie Bio, and you decide, all right, we're going to hire a scientist. Uh, so then what? You know, you have a bunch of kale. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, I keep saying kale. kelp. <laughs> you have a bunch of kelp. You have a bunch of kelp. And then you just give it to your scientists and say, what can you do with this? Like, what, what's the path to <laughs> actually getting a, an MVP, a minimal viable product for you here? Yeah, it was a little more complicated than that. We, we needed laboratories too. So we didn't have any labs up until we were able to raise funds. We were kind of... Uh, when we were at Rebel Bio, we were able to use their facilities. But after that, you know, we kind of moved back to New York. We didn't have a, an office even. So we were starting from the ground up. It was it was truly the very beginning. We hired our, our two scientists. We found labs in Brooklyn, which also happened to be the former Modern Meadow Labs. So that was a nice connection there. We felt like we were like, nice. okay, we're on the right path if nice. we're in the labs that Modern Meadow used to be in. Um, yeah. cool. <laughs> this is in the old uh, Brooklyn Army Terminal. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah, uh, I, in 2014, I visited Modern Meadow there. I, I went there again after, but in 2014, I visited, and the then CEO Andres Forgox was very kind and offered me some of the cultivated meat that he was growing at that time. Now they're only doing leather, but back then they were doing beef as well. And right. and I remember I was so shocked because I you know I knew like virtually no human had eaten this before, <laughs> and here he was offering it to me. I didn't want to be rude, yeah. and so I ate it. And uh, it, it was good. It, it was good. I enjoyed it. In fact, it wasn't big. It wasn't like a big piece. I remember it kind of being like a potato chip of meat, basically. But it was really cool. And so it makes me happy to know that that space is still being used to do some good in the world with, with Keo Labs. So I'm very happy to hear it. So, okay, you're in the Brooklyn Army Terminal. You got Modern Metal Zoo Lab. What next? 
Yeah. Yeah. So by the way, the meat company is, is separate. It's happening, but it's not under meta, modern meadow. So yeah, no, I, I'm rooting for fork and good. I, I hope that they succeed. I, I can't wait to try their yeah. product. I, I haven't tried it yet, but I, I I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm very much a fan of, of fork and good as well. And we'll include it. We'll yeah. include a link okay. to their website in the show notes here. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we're, we kind of set our scientists up in this tiny, tiny lab and we're like, this is what we used to make. Now you have to make it in a way that's going to hit these character characteristics, hit these performance standards, can be knit on industrial equipment, can be produced on industrial equipment. And they're like, whoa, okay, that's a lot. And they're right. It was a lot, but they were able to really take us a long way. And We've come a long way and our, our product is really amazing. And it's kind of crazy to think that that was our starting point. But, you know, since Brooklyn, we kind of moved on. We are, our main headquarters are in North Carolina in the Research Triangle area. So we set up about a 15,000 square foot facility there for research and development. And so now our team has grown from those two scientists to about 24 people working on our, our tech and our marketing and, and all the good, the good stuff in between. Nice. Awesome. So let's hear what those 24 people are working on. So people listening to this will know what kelp is, you know, it grows in the ocean, it's a seaweed, but why kelp? Like, why are you passionate about kelp and what part of the kelp are you using? I, I'm sure you're not using the entirety of the plant here that you're, you know, taking out some component of it to make into this material. So why is kelp important? And what part of the kelp are you actually making your materials from? Right. Yeah, we're not using the whole organism. The reason we were so attracted to kelp was, as I already mentioned, the scalability piece, which is for sure super important to make sure we have enough raw materials to use to grow, to like literally grow the company, not to actually grow the seaweed. We're not doing that. We're working with harvesters that are already producing it, and we're actually receiving a processed powder. So they just extract specific polymers that we need. And this is a traditional process in that industry. We basically, I mean, the other side of seaweed that's really amazing is that we're using a resource that's abundantly available in an area of our world that doesn't feel like it's getting the same attention as as land, right? Here is this vast ocean. I mean, like, there's so much water on this planet. Seaweed is growing everywhere. This is a resource that can replace the need of of land to grow materials and, and especially like materials for textiles. Like, why not do that? It's also filtering our waterways. It's sequestering carbon. Like, there's just so much good that comes from working with it. It's regenerative and it grows quickly. You could almost say that it's an ocean of opportunity for you there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry about that. But listen, you know, it, it does seem you know like an awesome material, right? This is something that can help clean the ocean. It sucks CO2 out of the atmosphere. But is there harm to the ocean done in farming it there? I know the ocean is obviously huge, but you know, we know that there is a consequence of, let's say, farming cotton on land. Is there a negative consequence associated with farming kelp in the ocean? Right. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely trying to learn about that as much as we can. The industry is not, you know, it's it's still new and it's still developing and it's growing. So we don't have as much information on it as we do the cotton industry, for example. But it's something that we're super aware of. And with anything, you always have to sort of keep in mind that everything has to be in moderation, right? This is not something that we're trying to 
to, you know, take a good situation and turn it into a bad one, but really monitor the impact of our products and of the seaweed on our oceans. Cool. So why is it better than cotton? Like, obviously, it's un- it's very queer why kelp would be better than, let's say, using animal leathers. But, you know, what if I'm buying yeah. you know, so- so-called sustainable cotton or whatever they want to refer to it as? Like, why is kelp better than land-based plant agriculture? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, to grow anything, you need water, right? And kelp is grown in water. So you're not <laughs> you're not needing to take water from one area and bring it to another in the case of, hmm. in the case of cotton. Yeah. yeah so so it, yeah, cotton, I, didn't, I, I didn't think about that, but yeah, it's kind of like the ultimate hydroponic, you know, like you don't really, right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. All right. Good point. It's really oh. awesome. All right. So, all right. So no water and in, no water inputs needed. What else? Yeah. So cotton requires a ton of water. It also requires fertilizers or herbicides or things to just protect it. I mean, bugs are super attracted to cotton you're constantly genetically engineering the seeds so that they can be, you know, more resistant to these bugs. But nonetheless, like you, you tend to use a lot of herbicides and pesticides and that goes into our waterways. Mm-hmm. All right. Good point. So no water inputs needed and no herbicides, no pesticides. Sounds pretty good. What about the growth rate? Like compared to cotton is, is, yeah, kelp, is that kelp. was good. Oh, gone. You, I don't mean to, I don't mean that to, was uh, gonna be my- <laughs> I don't, don't want to <laughs> put the cup before the horse. Point. All right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was going to be my next point. So cotton takes a long time to grow too. Whereas, you know, certain, certain seaweeds can grow as quickly as or almost as quickly as bamboo on a daily basis, right? So they can grow extremely fast. And seaweed is, you know, I mean, I guess cotton's grown around the world too, but seaweed is is grown around the world. And, uh, you know, uh, it seems to be a little easier to manage than cotton. Very cool. So what are you making? You know, is it t-shirts? Is it bracelets, watch, wristwatches? Like what is the product? I I don't believe you're not on market yet. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So maybe I should actually talk a little bit about Kiel Labs more clearly, like what what our purpose (laughs) is, right? So the product that we're making is named Kelson. Our main our main product and our first product that's going to be coming to market. It's not on the market yet. We are. It's basically a seaweed yarn. It is mainly composed of seaweed, and then we use a few non toxic additives to just help stabilize it, as any other material sort of needs to be. And the yarn is then you know sold the same way as any other yarn is to brands and manufacturers to create their final products. Uh, so our sort of end stage is the yarn itself. So this is a B2B play. You, you're not going to be making finished goods. You're making, you're essentially the cotton producer selling to the company that wants to make a t-shirt. That is, that is definitely right for the long term. For them, yeah. And, and for now, I mean, we will also create some of our own protos just to help people visualize what can be made. But our intention is to uh, mainly stay B2B. Got it. Okay, cool. So you're making this yarn. I've seen photos of the yarn on your website. We'll include a link to that on the show notes at businessforgoodpodcast.com. But tell us, what what do you expect them to do with the yarn? Is this going to be for shoes? Yeah. For, for is it? You know, can you make a leather replacement out of it? What's the main thing? Are you replacing Petro materials or are you replacing okay. cotton or leather? What is the main use for Kelson? Yeah, so every material is very different in terms of performance feel characteristics and you know the applications are gonna vary we are super interested in the fashion space and and talking to several 
brands in the fashion space. But we're also very excited about the in- home interior space, home goods space. And then, you know, always floating a few other industries around and, and sort of thinking about other opportunities, whether it might be disposables or automotive or whatever it is, you know, fibers are really used everywhere. If you look around, if you look around where you're sitting or where you are, you'll, you'll notice that it's almost in, I mean, it's certainly in every area that you're in. Yeah, I, I, I am sure of that. So how much money has Kiel raised now to date? I saw you guys did like a $13 million series A round. What was the total volume of, of cash invested in the company thus far? Yeah, we've raised just under 20 million through venture funding. We've also raised a little bit through grants. So that's all included in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's it's been a great ride. And the, the funding has allowed us to really progress our technical development and you know, really start moving along with some of these brand conversations that we've been having. Wonderful. So with 20 million so far brought in, that's that's wonderful. Congratulations. When can we expect to see the company move from being pre-revenue to start actually forming not just relationships with brands, but seeing the product on the market? Hopefully soon. It's always hard to, to define that completely. But in the next 12 to 18 months, it feels pretty safe to say that we'll be having more tangible products and hopefully our own products on the market or brand brand developed products on the market. So yeah, we're, we're hoping that this comes around quickly. Okay. Uh, I, I yeah. want to be one of these first customers. It's kind of like, you know, the company Pinatex, you know them, they're making the, uh, like, yeah, they're doing materials out of basically like the, the weaves of pine or the, the I think it's the weaves of pineapple plants. We had, we had them on the show many right. episodes ago. So I, I hope I'm not botching my memory of it here, but, but anyway, you know, they're now partnered and doing some really cool things and, and have product out in the market. And I very much collecting these early items from startups. So if the product does come out of the market in the next 12 to 18 months, I hope that I get a notification so that I can be one of the first customers. Oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll send you our, our little wait list, but I imagine you have an archive going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, a, it's like, I'll have a museum here. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Let me ask you something, Alex. You said earlier that you you know have some natural stabilizer that you put in the product. I presume that's because you don't want it to you know decompose, right? If you're wearing a Kelson shirt, you, you don't want it to decompose on your back. Yeah. But I, I have read that the product is compostable and biodegradable. So how do you make that happen? How do you make something biodegradable, but it's not going to degrade while I'm using it? Yeah, no, great question. I, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to (laughs) try to explain all the technicalities, but it's something that's really important to us. We don't want to be a material like a polyester that's around for much longer than the actual product it's put in is intended to be around for. So we're super mindful of, developing something that'll last for the time that you sort of intend the product to last, but not not longer than it needs to be and certainly not shorter. But as far as like how that's actually done is a very structural sort of development on a molecular level, which is is not something I feel fully equipped to speak on. <laughs> mm, okay. uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. Like you have these, the cutlery and the cups that say they're compostable, but if you put them in like your backyard compost, it's not going to compost. You need it to go to an industrial compost in order to happen. You need like certain temperatures to actually make it compost. Right. And so I'm wondering, because, you know, how, like, how do you make it happen? I don't know. I'm, I know that you're, you're, you're not 
saying that you're like the expert on this technologically. But maybe if there's something we can include in the show notes on this, Alex, I would love that if you want to email it to me. Because it, it is this question I have, like, how does a material be compostable and biodegradable, but not actually degrade while you're wearing it. So if yeah. you if you want, we'll, we'll have something on the show notes on that for sure. But for now, Alex, I'm letting you off the hook on this question, but know that I am interested in, in figuring out. It's like, Absolutely. It's a, it's a fair question and I'll get you more yeah. information on it. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's kind of like, and if you think about like leather, you know, the reason that you, the wristwatch with a leather band doesn't just rot on your wrist. I mean, all it is is the skin of a cow, but it's because they tan the, the weather, you know, tanning the weather prevents mm-hmm. it from decomposing. So presumably there is something that can be done with kelp also to prevent it from decomposing, but hopefully less problematic from a toxicity point of view than tanning is. Yeah. Uh, okay. That, that, that part of the supply chain or even part of the development cycle is so important to us. Like when we, you know, we use an industrial process that's used to create other materials such as rayon or viscose. So these are like cellulosic fibers. And they go through an extremely toxic process. You know, think about taking wood pulp and trying to break it down into a fiber. You definitely need something really caustic in there to make that process happen. And so for us not to reinvent the cycle, we want, or the circle, we want to use that same equipment, but eliminate the toxic use of chemicals. One, because it's important for the planet, but also important for the people that are producing it and also wearing the materials at the end of the day. Got it. Okay, cool. Well, it's impressive what you all have been building, Alex, you know, $20 million for an idea that was conceived while being an undergrad in college. Yeah, it's pretty respectable. And and the fact that you all have come this far and have now a couple dozen people working full time to make this vision a reality hat is off to you. Let me ask you during that whole time and during these past five or so years that you have been running this company that you co-founded, were there any resources that were useful for you, Alex? that you would recommend for others if people are looking, you know, maybe there's undergrads right now who are listening to this and thinking, wow, I'd like to do what Alex has done. Anything that you would recommend to them that you think would be useful in their journey? Yeah, there are definitely a couple of resources that come to mind that are specific to sort of the bio design, biomaterial space, but also just gen- generally great items that I've kind of read or listened to. But First and foremost, the book Biodesign by William Myers, incredible if you're interested in the space, along with Neri Oxman's book on material ecology. And then a few other great reads, Shoe Dog by Mike Knight. It's just a, a fun read and also a cool journey from his side and how he ended up building Nike. And then Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson, a phenomenal book as well, um, in my opinion. Cool. And then aside from that, Sorry, one last suggestion. You can have as many recommendations um, as I, you want. I really, again, I really, really think design is such an important piece of innovation. And there's an incredible conference called Design in Daba that's held every year in South Africa, and they record all their speeches. I hands down suggest watching any of those from the years past. There's always some incredible, inspiring people talking about stuff. 
Awesome. Well, these are really good recommendations, Alex. So we will link to all of them at the show notes for this episode at businessforgoodpodcast.com. I will say that I also read Shoe Dog and I was extremely impressed by it. I loved that book so much, not just because it's an amazing success story, but really because of how many times the company Nike in this case had near-death experiences. And right. the, the author and co-founder of Nike, Phil Knight, really does a great job of describing just how many times they almost perished as a company and really what a miracle it was that this all occurred. And and in his words, obviously it's a combination of hard work and luck many times over, which is so important in in life and and in entrepreneurship. So I I also recommend that book, but I'm going to check out some of these other ones too, for sure. So finally, Alex, obviously you're committed now to doing Kia Labs. It's going to be sometime, hopefully years longer that you're going to be at this company. But are there other ideas? Imagine if you're in the indie bio milieu, you're seeing all these other cool companies that are going through. You probably have ideas for companies that you wish existed that don't yet exist. So if there's somebody out there looking to start their own company, Alex, and they want to do something good in the world, what ideas might you throw out there for them to consider? There's definitely one relevant to the sort of material space. You know, there's all these new materials companies coming up. You've even mentioned a few that you've talked to in the past. There's several new ones coming up every year. And what I feel like there isn't clarity around is sort of how to categorize and catalog some of these new materials and their impact. We have words in the past that were used to sort of grade the materials that brands selected for their products. And it feels like those are definitely, you know, biased or skewed and not necessarily relevant to the new era of materials that are coming out there. And I think some sort of technology around that is super needed. Okay. Well, that's a a good idea to put out there. And maybe that will be an inspiration for somebody who is listening right now to think about what company they may want to begin. So maybe that company will be a guest on this show in the future. And they'll say, you know, back in 2023, when Alex gave that recommendation, that was the genesis. So I hope that's the case. And if that is you in the future, please do reach out to us. And we'd love to talk with you at that point. But for now, Alex, I want to say congratulations to you. It's really inspirational to see a company being conceived in on, on, as an undergrad, now making a lot of headway and cruising toward commercialization. And I hope one day that I'm wearing a Kelson-based material. It would be a lot of fun. And so I, I will be rooting for your success. Paul, thanks so much. I am equally excited to be wearing one of our products someday. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it useful. And if you did, please let the world know. Leave the show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app and share the episode with your friends. Who knows? Maybe you'll inspire one of them to be in the business of doing good themselves. Mm